Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call Chris Brewer at Affordable Heat and Air, 317-656-7945. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Green flag flies and Colton Herta takes the early lead for the battle for second is side by side into turn one. And it looks like Alex Pelot is going to look for second as they all rocket into turn number one. And Kyle Kirkwood spins off the back of Pato Awards car. It's a one car incident. Kirkwood didn't hit anything. Markey's going to fall all the way to the rear of the field. Rossi Armstrong Award stacked up as they head to Michael Young. And the battle goes too wide into turn number five. Fans jump to their feet and the big mover Pato Award as Alexander Rossi able to hold off. And Alex Pillow will go off track. That will allow Joseph Newgarden to go around. Their collision in turn six. Battle for third. Currently, it's Alex Pillow. He'll battle with Colton Herta. Herta gets a great run out of turn number five. The two will drag race up the hill through turn number six. They're side by side, and it's Herta over Pillow. Yep, Colton Herta has made that move now and is going to try to hold on to it. Pillow made a very hard look at him as they now start to enter towards turn number eight, but Herta is going to get a little separation into eight. Setting up for turn number 14. It's down to one-tenth of a second. It is literally nose to tail off of turn number 14. They climb the hill. Alex Pillow right up underneath the rear wing of Colton Herta as they cross the start-finish line head back to turn one. This front straightaway is long enough that you can get a draft, and Alex Pillow's got it. He pulls to the outside. They're side-by-side into turn one. Alex Pillow takes over the race lead, swinging to the outside. A masterful pass of Colton Herta out of turn one. Can he hold on to the grip enough? Colton Herta takes a peek to the bottom at the in turn number three, Alex Pillow shuts the door, climbs back into the throttle, heads to the Sargento Bridge. That lead up to three-tenths of a second now for Alex Pillow as he heads to turn number five. Alex Pillow going to put a stranglehold on this championship for now, grab a 74-point lead as he will crest the hill and see the advance auto part checkered flag as Alex Pillow dominates late and wins the Sancio Grand Prix in Road America presented by AMR. We started the weekend really, really fast. Uh, big mistake by uh, my part yesterday in practice to uh, big crash, big damage, losing a lot of track time. But honestly, they gave me the car back on time for qualifying, not only back that, uh, to choose to qualify, but just to fight for pole. So it was amazing. Uh, they gave me the pit stop for the win today as well. So amazing. Yeah, cannot thank them enough. It was a great weekend for us, and we're going to keep on working hard and uh, looking forward to mid-Ohio now. The car was really good. Uh, we knew that the reds, uh, the alternate tires were going to be tough to keep on uh, and didn't really want to adjust the car because it's been so good this weekend. So, yeah, it was all about tire pressure, tire management and focusing forward. Hello, welcome. Trackside 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Thanks for joining us as we come off of a weekend at America's National Park of Speed, Road America, and another win by Alex Pillow. Highlights courtesy of IndyCar Radio as we get set for a weekend off for IndyCar. They're still racing that you can see. Join us on Peacock Sunday 
for the six hours at the Glen. And on USA, I think we join about mid-race, 2.30 Sunday afternoon. So there's our shameless plug for that. So I'm multitasking this week, getting back into IMSA prep. 57 cars this weekend for IMSA. Uh, But let's first talk about where things stand, Kurt, in IndyCar and a lot of things going on off the track as well that we'll get to coming up. By the way, you can join us at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan for questions. Andy Garrison is in our studios. Kurt is there. I am here. How are you? Welcome. It's good to to talk about this one. I thought it was a fun race. Uh, There was a lot of passing. Uh, There was a lot of activity, I think, in part because you had you know, a new surface and the track was fast and you had red tires that were, you know, I I don't know. They just (laughs) didn't hold up as well, which are weren't as fast as, as, you know, discrepancy versus the black tire. So it was a fun race. Uh, It was fun that the, the drivers had to keep the car on the racetrack as if they got offline, it was uh, troublesome and slick as, as we predicted in past shows. So I thought it was a good, fun race. It's it's fun when we could argue it both ways. It's fun when the series is so competitive uh, that anybody can win. And it's also fun when one driver just gets hot and starts kicking their butt and everybody has to catch up. So there's a lot of things to work with here in this show and, and in the shows to follow this season. So we'll see how it goes. This was not a beatdown by Alex Pelot. No. Colton Herta should have won this race. What's your takeaway from what happened? I, I wasn't in their pit, so I don't know if they didn't get all the fuel in or if there was just more fuel consumption than they, they expected by coming in a lap earlier than some of the others like Pelot. Well, I think when I saw everybody going to 14 laps to go, uh, and that's when they were going to pit, and that was the the required distance, if you will, to make you know maximum use of your speed versus your fuel. And then you see somebody come in with fifteen to go on a big track like Road America, that's four miles long. You know, there's just such a tight window on making that decision. Uh, it's a very difficult thing to kind of understand uh, for somebody who's not deep in the weeds of the sport. But I think about it this way, you know, you're driving down the highway and you got a chance to to uh, to make a pit stop and for fuel uh, at in your passenger car and you're in the state of Indiana. There's a lot of exits where you can get gas. But when you're on in the West and you're out in Utah and there's there's only so many exits uh, that have gas stations, that's kind of road America. You need yeah. to stop where where it makes sense to stop because you got an opportunity and you can't push it. There's just not enough for, uh, enough leeway for you to be wait till the next exit like you can in the state of Indiana or in the Midwest. So, you know, Road America is a big track and it just doesn't there's not enough wiggle room. And if you get off that sequence and you try to stretch it, you know, you're just going to cause yourself problems. And I think that's what happened with the Andretti Autosport car. I can't say for certain, but it sure seems to make sense. All the teams were saying, you know, the pit stop windows are very narrow because you got to pit when you when it when the race calls for you to pit. And I think that was the difference. And and Colton had to conserve. You're right. Uh, Pelot didn't beat down people, uh, but he and Colton were the two best cars and and Pelot's team executed the fuel strategy the best. Had there been a caution and any caution is going to be at least a couple of laps. That's all it would have taken. So 
my guesstimate was that he was struggling on the Reds, as everyone was. Not only did the Reds not last as long, uh, most didn't feel like they were faster. So they were they were slower and not as good. So you did not want to be on those. And each of the first two cautions came out about two laps before everyone wanted to pit. Now, the length of the caution did get you pretty close to back on cycle. So it wasn't that far off by the time they went back to green flag racing. But I'm going to guess that was the thought that, again, it's a four-mile track. So while he had the lead, and I don't have what it was before he came into the last stop, there may have been a fear that if we go one more lap, that's essentially two laps at any other track, he may have lost the lead by the end of that lap. So let's get in now, and all it's going to take is one caution. And Townsend brought this up as well, and I would agree with him that I thought the chances of there not being a caution at that point as things settle in was greater than there being a caution, but it's not like it was 80-20. It was probably 60-40 that will probably run green the rest of the way. And you had seen enough offs that there would be a hope that you just get one, then we've won the race. And it's not as if this gamble produced a catastrophe. They didn't finish 18th. They finished 5th. So I, I get where Andretti Autosport is coming, and I don't think this was a massive fail in strategy. It just did not work out. No, it's not a massive fail, but it is a massive fail from the standpoint of you led 33 laps. You were the best car on track all day. Yeah. You you overcame really three spins in practice and qualifying. You'd had all your bad luck on Friday and Saturday, and Sunday was just going marvelously. Yes, you get to the last decision to make, a pit, make your last pit stop, and... You know, your your tires are going away. I get that. So you're losing time. Again, I get that. But you still had the lead. And and if you could have just waited it out one more lap, I think your fuel strategy would have allowed you to go hard on the on the black tires the rest of the way. And again, you had the lead. So I think that's, you know, these races are so difficult to win that you have to win them when you're poised to do so and when you have the best car and polo may have been comparable but i think we can argue and the stats will back it up colton led what 33 of the first 49 laps he had the best car he won the pole when you have that kind of you know command you have to win the race otherwise you're massively disappointed and quite honestly colton herta in the post-race interviews was much calmer than I expected. Now I read his, I went through and I read his quote, you know, to myself, as opposed to hearing him say it. And the quote actually is pretty strong. You know, boy, we, we really let, let this one get away, but that's the days that hurt the most on days you should win. And you don't. The other thing with tire strategy that played out in this race. And I had multiple drivers tell me this because they were all surprised that the top 10 all started on primaries. And I think their hope was those that started on primaries, they were hoping that a few would start on reds, thinking, hey, we know something that everyone else doesn't know, that uh, this the, the red is not the preferred tire at all, and we want to be something different, uh, especially when you're talking 5th through 10th. And a couple of guys said, here's what's going to happen. 
Dixon is back there in wherever he started, 23rd or 24th on Reds. There's going to be a caution at the start of the race. He's going to get rid of them and run blacks the rest of the day, and he's going to finish on the podium. He didn't finish on the podium, but he came awfully close from the back, finishing fourth. And that worked out perfectly for those guys back there. And it could have worked out a little better for power, but one of their their stops, they didn't get fuel in, so he ended up taking an extra one and lost about five or six spots. So you look from where he finished, where did he finish up? 13th. 13th. Yeah. That maybe ends up being 6th or 7th for power instead of 13th. No, I, I agree, and and I saw that myself. You know, it if you especially if you did this historically and went back to races where Scott Dixon starts in the back for whatever reason, and this was the lowest he had ever finished or lowest he had ever started at a race at Road America. But if if you just look at those races and then do what they do, because you could learn a lot and and uh, you know just just follow the the strategy of of Mike Hall and and Scott Dixon through the years they always seem to figure out how to get from the back to the front and it, it's really a lesson for all the young groups young pairings of of strategist and driver it's really fascinating to watch and they did it once again and this is how you win championships and by the way Mike Hall I should have mentioned will be on the show coming up in just under an hour the managing director of Chip Ganassi Racing and it seems to be going okay. They're what? One, two, tied for third in the championship right now. Uh, IndyCar is very difficult to predict, and I'm not a um, anyone that likes to guarantee or make really bold statements, but I will be massively surprised if Alex Pelot does not win this championship, and that's something I don't know that we've ever said with any confidence as we get to the midpoint of the season ever before since maybe 2004 with Tony Kanaan. So here's the thing, though. So he has a 74-point lead, and that's more than a more than a single race. It really is the difference of two races, honestly. But in 2020, Scott Dixon had a similar lead. He led by 72 points. There were only three races to go. Joseph Newgarden won two of those last three races. And Scott Dixon, in those three races, it's not like he fell apart. In those three races, Scott Dixon went eighth, ninth, third, and only won the championship by 16 points. If Scott Dixon had not finished third in that last race, Joseph Newgarden would have stolen the championship, and he would have done it in three races. There are still nine to go. This is this is a very um, wide open still opportunity for somebody like Joseph Newgarden, especially when two of those races are going to be at Iowa Speedway where he has dominated. So it can change pretty quickly. I agree with you. It feels pretty locked up for Polo, but I wouldn't count Joseph Newgarden out yet. And by the way, he's third in the championship. You had uh, Scott Dixon tied for third. It's there. He's tied for fourth with, with Pato Award. It's Joseph Newgarden who's okay. third. But, you know, the point is a guy like Joseph Newgarden could could put together three or four wins the rest of the way. I don't know that, you know, I don't have the same feeling about Marcus Erickson. I'm not sure he's going to go out and win four of the last nine races. Scott Dixon could. Scott Dixon will be the favorite at Mid-Ohio. He'll be the favorite at, at Toronto because he's won like 10 races at those two tracks combined. 
He's the reigning champion at Nashville. He's he's been really good at Portland. I mean, Scott Dixon's still going to make a push. Whether he can get all the way to the lead is another question. But right now, seventy four points feels insurmountable because Polo has essentially won four races in a row. He didn't win Indy, but he really had a great drive there, going from the back of the field to finish fourth, and he's won the other three. But I wouldn't I wouldn't chalk it up just yet. So what you just said is what I will be saying on television and what our approach will be to keep people interested. I'll go back to what I said before. I'm not guaranteeing it, but I will be really surprised if Alex Pillow does not win the championship because he does not make mistakes. The team doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I will give Newgarden a fighting chance because of the strength that he has coming up. But statement, I will be really surprised if Alex Pillow does not win this championship. So do you want you're going to, you know, I'm not guaranteeing it. I don't gamble. I don't have a dime. My race car just crashed this weekend. I will be really surprised if Alex Pillow does not win the championship. So you can write that down and we'll talk about it in September. Agreed. I I, I would agree with you on that one. But I I think it's, uh, you you know, it's it's certainly the script can has been flipped quicker uh, in in pretty recent times. But I agree with you. And by the way, the 2020 season didn't have didn't have a double points finish, just like this one doesn't have a double points finish. So Joseph, again, he went, you know, two wins in the last three races, and it wasn't like Scott Dixon fell apart in that season. Eighth, ninth, and third, and that feels like a pretty normal finish. One caveat to all of this. And I don't know that it has any impact. I don't think it does. But Alex Pillow ain't coming back. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? It's it's by the way, I've done a little more digging over the weekend that we'll get to at some point. And you know, my ninety-nine percent or my ninety-eight percent is ninety-nine point nine percent now at this point that he is joining a three car team next year at Arrow McLaren. And we'll get to Marcus Erickson a little bit more. That um, that caused a bit of a stir, and that's going to be interesting moving forward. Is he he's not in Alex Pillow land because he didn't announce he was leaving, but he made his attentions known, and I'm the mouthpiece for that. And I don't suspect Chip Ganassi is happy with him at all, at all. Chip Ganassi's probably not really happy with me, but I'm just the messenger, and. Uh, that's interesting that the top two in the championship might not be back with that team next year. As far as this year's championship, we may save that for next week in between getting in all that. I'm with you that I give new garden the best chance. I don't know that Marcus is going to roll off four wins or so, but here's how he can win the championship. If Polo misfires at any point, and that's more likely going to be from bad luck from crashes, mechanicals, things like that. Marcus Erickson is going to continue to average about fifth or better, which is generally what you want to win a championship. And he's going to get a win there at some point, um, but he's going to continue to run up front. New Garden, not necessarily through his own mistakes, but it tends to be feast or famine at times for Joseph. If Joseph has a few finishes in the back, and Pelot does as well, Erickson is going to sneak through and be your champion. Or Dixon. Those are the two. Pato has been too hot and cold as well. I I, I don't see it happening 
this year. I do think he's going to win a race. He's going to win a race really soon, and he might be one of those that can pull together multiples. But at this point, I'm going to say it's Pelot, Newgarden, Dixon are your championship contenders. Yeah, you have to remember two things. One, to win a championship largely, now I know power is an exception last year, but especially in a comeback part of the season, you got to win races. So you got to look at the two guys who are capable of of rolling off a lot of wins, and their history suggests that they can and will, and that's Newgarden and Dixon. The other thing is to remember how good Dixon has been in his career in the second half of the season. We are not yet to the halfway. The halfway point of this season comes mid-race July 2nd at Mid-Ohio when we get to eight and a half races into the season. We're only at eight. And still nine to go. So a long way to go. But this is Dixon time of the year, which is why he's won six times at Mid-Ohio, why he's won four times at Toronto, why he's been really good at Portland, why he's been really good at Nashville. And and we'll start to see the, the Dixon with the Superman cape on in the second half of the season. He won two in a row last year in the, in the second half of the year. So Dixon can do it. I, I would put my... My eyes on on Newgarden because he is truly feast or famine. And when he's feast, that's how you gain in this championship fight. Let's look at the types of tracks that you have still coming up. We've got old school road courses at Mid-Ohio and Portland. Now, I put Laguna Seca in that category, except they've repaved there as well. And I think it's notable what Joseph Newgarden said after the race in his interview with Dylan, is that we are not good on really smooth surfaces right now, and we're going to have to figure that out. That's what this is going to be at at Laguna Seca. So now I don't know this. Maybe you have the the schedule of of testing. I bet there's a test coming up for much of the field still to come at Laguna Seca, that they want to be um on that new surface because like road america it's going to be very very different and this is going to be all about qualifying it was already difficult to pass at laguna seca we expect it to be even harder to pass with a shorter brake zone a grippier track less tire deg coming up this year so you've got that street courses you've only got toronto and nashville coming up so that's kind of two and two in that category I don't know who that favors in that sense. Um, I know the Ganassis are going to be strong. I, I know the Penskis are going to be strong. So that's kind of a push. And the Andrettis, the wild card in that, they may not be championship contenders, but we know they are super strong in those circumstances. So Dixon won both of those street races last year. I would expect the Andrettis to be a factor. They've been really strong on the on the street circuits. But here's an interesting point. Uh, and by the way, your question about Laguna Seca, I think that test is still going to be Thursday of race week as part of the race weekend at Laguna Seca. I think I'm not, you're right. I'm not sure they go in advance because they try to save the teams. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll come out of Portland and just start a day earlier at Laguna Seca. But here's a great stat that I got from Joey Barnes here at IndyCar.com today. And that is think back to Iowa last year. When Joseph Newgarden in the second race had that race in his clutches, if you take, let's say he goes on to win that race, he will have won every oval race over the last calendar year. He won 
both races. He would have won both races at Iowa. He won a worldwide technology raceway. He won at Texas this year and Indy. That would have been a sweep of the oval races and he'll be good at Iowa. He could, he could again, win all three of those. If you count two at Iowa and one at gateway, there's your three that, that he could win of the last nine. And I bet he picks up another one along the way. So that's why Joseph is such a threat to Polo at this point in the year. Um, yeah. So I think we do still have something, but man, Alex Polo is hooked up. Uh, it's, it's going to take a big run and that's why we'll watch. And going back to, you know, the new pavement, there was a lot of concern that this might not produce great racing. That was a theory. You shorten the brake zones. You're breaking one marker later than you normally do. Uh-oh, we may not have a lot of overtaking. Did we not have more overtakes than we've had since any car came back there? Yeah, it was it was really good. Like, uh, and and the overall number was like four hundred and forty-four passes, <laughs> yeah. whatever it was. It was really the passes up front, not necessarily for the lead, but in that first five depending on who was in the first five at, at different points in the race and the top 10 as well, those numbers were big. You know, the other thing and the word that kept coming up from Townsend was the delta between being on the racing line, being off the racing line. I think that contributed because you saw a lot of guys just get wide, particularly in turn one. And that allowed for, you know, big moves by people. If you got late in the stint with the with the alternate tires, which which faded quicker than normal, you really had some passing opportunities late in the stint. It was just a fun race to watch. And and I, I always think that when you get a new repave, the track looks nicer. It looks tidy. And, and it was a fun. It was an easy on the eyes race. And I think that that's what made it so much fun. When they present the stat, 32 passes in the top five, does that mean 32 on track for position in the top five? Is that counting pit stop exchanges? It counts pit top, pit stop exchanges because that's part of the race. Okay. You know, it, it's still part of the race. It's not, you know, on track. Pit lane is part of on track. So it says 444 on. Okay. So an on track pass is a pit lane exchange. Could be, yeah. I'd love to see a stat of on-track passes. That would be the way to really measure the racing because you're going to get more on-track passes if uh, you have green flag stops. Uh, you're going to get on-track passes even when you have yellow flag stops, just someone gains or loses on pit lane. But a wonderful stat if they really wanted to be able to show how much overtaking there is in IndyCar, let's just start tracking how many People pass someone, whether it's for position or not, on the track. And it's going to be a much smaller number. But, you know, if you get six in the top five, that's significant. That's Formula One in three months. Well, I I hear I hear your argument for that. Here's why I like There's the no, total. You can do both, too. You can do yeah. both. The, the reason why I like this, the, the bigger number is not because it's larger, but because it, it involves the pit crew, which is part of the team aspect of the sport. If, if you have a slow stop and, you know, you don't get the, the left rear tire on right and it costs you four positions, well, it should count in, in overall passes for the team that executed it right. So I, I just think it's, you're right. You can have both. Uh, but I think, you know, you, you need to look at, I think it's important to look at the total 
passes, whether they happen on pit lane or on the actual uh, high-speed racing surface. So Palo wins. Coulda, should have won the last four. He's won three of the last four. Newgarden said they didn't have great pace, so he's disappointed when you come that close, but I think should still feel pretty good about coming home second. Pottawa Ward uh, got hit, then hit someone else, and he recovers from ninth to third, so that's a, a really good situation for him. We talked about Dixon. We talked about Herta. Erickson does what he does. He uh, got dropped back a little bit. He is, I think, like 11th in the last stint and finishes six. So that's a big day for him. We need to mention Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, and all the changes that we got confirmed. So they mostly just shuffled a lot of personnel. I believe maybe the only person who's no longer with the organization uh, might be Alan McDonald, very successful engineer. And if he wants to work again, he'll be working again, maybe as soon as mid Ohio. Uh, but I don't know that I heard that he was shuffled to, or move to the sports car program. Um, but, and it's not shocking uh, that they were better here because they were good on the road course at Indianapolis. So we kind of expected that. And kind of like the Connor Daly situation, you got to try something. You you want to try something. So let's just put new people in new places and see what you get there. They elevated one of the number two engineers up and Christian Lungard was legit fast. Jack Harvey and Graham Rahal had better pace this weekend. Lungard not too happy with Joseph Newgarden. That's kind of what that is there, though, that if you try to pass on the outside in five, you are at the mercy of the guy on the inside, and he, within the rules, has been allowed to simply drift out as far as he wants to go. So you'd better try to pass someone that is timid. Because Alexander Rossi and Joseph Newgarden and the guys that win races are not letting you pass on the outside in turn five. Yeah, I, I share what what your sentiment is and how it actually happens. I do wish, I do think there needs to be a little control of that. Just you can't fade too far. I think yeah. you know. I, I wish that was thought of a little bit differently, but I've not been a professional race car driver, so you know. I, I'll roll with it, but I uh, but I think the inside guy does have some responsibility not to fade too far. When Jackson raced in uh, F sixteen hundred, they had a rule that wasn't always adhered to or judged. But the the stated rule was you must, if someone is even with you trying to pass around the outside, you must give them a car width to complete that pass. Otherwise, you are subject to a penalty. Wasn't necessarily called that way, but that was the idea. And you ran the risk of if you just went all the way out. So that would be the only way that you could judge that. But otherwise, it's they are not penalizing. And they've been consistent, by the way. Sure, they which have. Is, I think what people ask for, they have not penalized side-by-side -side contact. The drivers know that. And I just would not advise anyone. Unfortunately, that's not great for the racing either that you just know that you're not going to pass someone on the outside. Yeah, again, I don't I don't particularly I don't want to say I don't like it. I I think there needs to be I think the inside driver has some some responsibility Great. to give some room. I don't know how much and I know I know it's difficult to to police but to your point of F sixteen hundred, I think that's that's kind of where I would like the rule to be. Uh, McLaughlin has a, a solid day when you consider where he started, going from eighteenth 
to eight, by the way, and you see that one of those great uh, shots on social media with all the onboards for two and a half minutes, and you see him waving at Devlin D. Francesco. He clarified that on Twitter today, which is my suspicion that he accidentally got into Devlin earlier, and that was more of a I'm sorry um, as he went by. It wasn't haunting that, him yeah. or anything like that. He wasn't giving the number 11 salute, which uh, no. we, we'll talk about later. Uh, Rossi was perplexed from fifth, running top five, and just kind of kept sliding back, and he said just didn't feel like we had straight-line pace. So that's the first time that they really haven't moved forward in the race. Uh, for a bad day, coming home 10th is is not terrible. Oh, I didn't mention Kirkwood, who you know not only got into the back of Pato at the beginning, spun, got lucky the caution came out, so he stays on the lead lap at that point, but then also was impacted on pain, so he's further back again. Again, just like Detroit, great recovery drive for him, showing the pace that he had to get up into the ninth position. Uh, touched on Will Power a little bit, and we'll get to him coming up in just a moment. We'll get to, to qualifying day. Uh, Ed Carpenter Racing, too early to say, but maybe showed some promise, but they've also been good on these kind of tracks before. I know this from talking to people. They really like what Ryan Hunter Ray is bringing in from a fresh perspective. I don't think anyone feels like they want to blame Connor Daly, and they might be, they might find out here in a couple of months. Ooh. Yeah, it wasn't on the driver. We're going to have to make other changes. And right or wrong, you cannot fire the entire team in the middle of the season. This was the way to be able to assess things that are going on. I still think Connor's going to find himself another opportunity in this series. I think, one, he's really good at finding budget. Two, people still think he's talented. It's going to be challenging. Uh, It's tough to get simply hired when the bottom line results have not been there. But you put a combination of budget and talent together. I think we got a chance to see Connor again. Agreed. Agreed. Um, who else? Uh, I thought the Meyer Shank racing cars were better this weekend. I saw Elio in the airport, and you know, I think he I uh, forget what else happened to him, but something set him back just a little bit in the race. But he said, I felt like we had pace. Pagano said the same thing. He was knocked off or felt he was knocked off at one point. AJ Foyt racing cars. We're better this weekend. That was really good to see. Ferrucci could have ended up better where he finished up in 16th. Peterson got hit at the beginning of the race in this one. Devlin Francesco qualified well. He got shoved off at one point during the race, and he also said he was a little bit surprised about the pace. Wasn't sure what happened there, but that was going better for the, for him at that point. So I think that's kind of a run through the box score and where things went. I know the Hunkos Hollinger cars didn't feel great. Uh, I didn't feel like he had a lot of pace in this one as well. And then there was willpower, which we will address coming up next as uh, other people have helped me go viral on social media in each of the last two weekends. I'll see who I meet at Watkins Glen this weekend. That's coming up next. Trackside 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. We're just pissed what Dixon did this morning. He's just ruined our whole weekend and just a terrible move all up. 
you try to put together the car the best you can, but it's never going to be the same after a crash of that significance. What can you do from where you're at? Yeah, I mean, the guys did a great job. Uh, Fortunately, we had a screwdriver in there, and that was sort of the laps to get it going, but everyone thrashed, did a fantastic job. and uh, we got out there, did everything I could, man. It's just, it's just so hard in this field if you're behind the eight ball and you're not sure where, which new front wing, new floor, you don't know where the aero balance will be and they balance all up. So, man, frustrating because I felt like we were really quick this morning. But, yeah, yeah, surprised. Just disappointed with what happened. Really disappointed. And Grosjean is a piece of crap. If you saw what he did in practice, he needs a punch in the face. And there you go. Courtesy of NBC Sports and Peacock from uh, Saturday afternoon. Big eyes is normally how we describe Will Power. If you could have seen my eyes, those were big eyes, too. Interview is ending. And, and oh, by the way, and I don't think it came through looking at the replay again, but there was almost a twinkle in his his eye. It, you know, we. I'd taken the microphone away, and then it's, oh, by the way, someone needs to punch Grosjean in the face. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, Your reaction was perfect. You had no idea that was coming. You didn't know what the issue was between the two of them. And it took, I'm sure, in the truck, some searching to find the moment that that he was referring to. And they found it pretty quickly, actually. Uh, But, yeah, sometimes... uh, the reaction of of the reporter is as funny as the the reaction of the subject, the athlete. And in this case, you had to roll with it pretty quickly. And I was already supposed to be going somewhere else because ideally we would be going right back to the booth. And it's just let's unpack this. But, you know, no one said switch it up. And we had Dylan already waiting with another driver. So we got to keep going. So that was my point of, all right, we're not going to sweep this under the rug. We are going to discuss, but I am told to go somewhere else. So we'll we'll circle back, I think is how I describe that. So, uh, yeah, the track president wasn't real happy. He parked the uh, because, you know, the, let's think about who will power napalmed the track. Six time champion, second winningest driver in IndyCar history. And then another driver. And I did not have a chance to catch up to Grosjean. I did ask Will on Sunday morning who, when he saw me rolling into pit lane, just big smile on his face. And he said, yeah, how about that? And I told him, you got us on SportsCenter. By the way, did you notice that? IndyCar hasn't been on SportsCenter other than the Indy 500, I doubt, all year. And this shows (laughs) why you'd like to see this, but... I still would say, well, who is going to allow their driver to be outspoken like that, representing sponsors? That's the challenging part of this. But they did a full 90 seconds on the 10 p.m. Sports Center that reran a few times on Saturday night. So they showed the incident in practice with Grosjean and Power. Then they showed the crash with Dixon. And then they showed pretty much the full interview. And one of the anchors said, oh, I've never seen an IndyCar race before. And by the way, he's been on SportsCenter for 15, 20 years. And they were at one point a partner of IndyCar. So for him to say, I've never watched an IndyCar race before, eh, kind of tells you something. But he said, I might watch. And there you go. Um, but I asked Will if he had seen Grosjean, and he said, no, he had not. He didn't care. I mean, yeah, that's a good a good. A good soundbite. And the other thing was ESPN.com ran it 
as a flag story, not the part about Grosjean necessarily. They did list that in the story, but it was an AP story, but they gave it a headline on the website for most of the afternoon that, you know, and it helped that you had power and Dixon, uh, you know, eight combined IndyCar Series championships and a pair of Indianapolis 500 winners. Those are big names. And I think most people have heard the name Will Power, and they certainly have heard Scott Dixon. So these were big. So that was interesting. Um, What else was interesting from Saturday, maybe from the weekend? Maybe we'll... Well, I was just going to say that I think the Saturday... I'm going to ask Mike Hull about this, but the Saturday performance of Chip Ganassi Racing to get Alex Pelot's car, which was took a massive hit, massive, massive hit in the barrier in turn 14. One of the hardest hits you can take on a on a road course with tire barriers involved. And then then the power uh, Dixon crash to repair both of those cars. In fact, they Mm -hmm. changed out the Dixon car. Massive performance by by CGR and the boys, the fellas and the ladies to get that car ready to go. Both the cars ready to go in short order was was really good. And just checking in, when I went back there 20 minutes before qualifying, they weren't done. To, to get done and get rolled out there like that was really impressive and probably even more work for the Polo crew. The, the Dixon car... You know, one was a fully intact car. They just went to the backup. Then they have to change the engine and try to change over all the settings and move some electronics and things like that. But the Pelot car needed a lot of work, as did the Power car. Power's car looked pretty close to done when I was in there 20, 25 minutes. But I know this. Everyone said, we'd like to be done with 10 minutes to spare, and we want to roll through tech. You're not required to at these races, but then you are taking a risk that you might be non-compliant so you just want to make sure that you have things buttoned up and none of those three cars had a chance to do that so that tells you how close they were it wasn't like they had a whole lot of time to spare to get out on pit lane and uh other things that we still really need to get to but we ran long in the first segment so i'll, I'll save the marcus erickson report on his discussions <laughs> that don't seem to be going super well with chip ganassi racing at this point and what that means and what the options will be for a little later on, maybe even uh, in the second hour of the show. So we'll see how much time we have left in the next segment. Mike Hole is set to join coming up at the top of the hour and plenty more coming up. It's Trackside, 93.5-1075 The Fan. Hi. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Colton Herta, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, before we get to a couple of tweets, uh, Kurt rejoins us, by the way, coming up in just a moment with Mike Hall, the managing director of Chip Ganassi Racing. And then we'll talk about one of their drivers, uh, one of the other storylines from the weekend with uh, Marcus Erickson and what his future might hold. Uh, Kurt uh, looked it up. We were talking about passes and the stats given out, and it does only include on-track passes, not overtakes or changes of position in the pit lane so those are impressive numbers that indycar had so it'd be even more if you're talking about what's happening on the pit lane so that's worth clearing up from steve hamilton he tweeted a little thread yesterday said best crowd i've seen in my 25 plus years of coming to road america previous most was last year's race driver intros of victory lane awesome 
So many young fans getting pictures and autographs right before the drivers get strapped in. Please never change this. Pato Award was the most popular driver, especially with the kids. I was at turn five at the end of the race, and Pato was the only one out of the seven drivers that parked there in the cool-down lap that came out to talk with the fans. Another reason he's so popular. Took two minutes of his time and made 20-plus fans for life. Even starting towards the back and having a tough weekend, this was the most personal I've ever seen. Scott Dixon, great to see. Joseph Newgarden looks like he has a huge weight off his shoulders now that he's a 500 champion. Hope to see him with the fans at turn five if he won. Polo somehow remains the most underrated driver when you talk to fans. We're lucky to have him. Someday I'll play golf with Scott McLaughlin. Seed was planted, Steve writes. Augustine Canapino looks like he's having the most fun ever, and the fans loved him. His smile is contagious. And the new paddock setup and viewing area behind the carousel. Nice improvements. Can't wait till next year's race. IndyCar is a great place. Still room to improve. And I have a few ideas for Jay Fry. So that was long, but I thought those were really uh, coherent and solid points. So just wanted to share those. A couple of screenshots that I took from other tweets from the last couple of days. Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan, uh, says, Rookie of the Year going to be Marcus Armstrong, question mark. After his disappointing day at Road America, he's still up 20 points in the standings, but amazingly ahead of eight full-time drivers in the regular standings. Um, yeah, I think he is going to be the rookie of the year. and That's one of the few things that Kurt and I got right coming into the year. That's not a big surprise. Good car, talented driver. Uh, he's he's the guy. And I suspect he'll be full-time next year. And Lynn also asks, is this championship for IndyCar over? Is Alex our max? Is Chip Ganassi racing our Red Bull? This might get ridiculous soon. CGR is 1, 2, and 5 points for full-time drivers. No, it's not to that extreme. Uh, while, as I said earlier, I'll be really surprised if he doesn't win the championship, there'll be a little scare at some point, and they're not going to win every race, which is what happens in Formula One. No, you're going to have multiple teams win races, and there is still plenty more to see. Hour two coming up. We'll get to some more tweets. And as mentioned, uh, we'll talk more silly season. We'll talk with Mike Hull coming up next on Trackside. How this... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to Trackside on a week off, I suppose, for the IndyCar series in terms of racing. We've got testing uh, later in the week, we'll talk about that here in a minute. Kevin Lee back in a few minutes, but we wanted to take this opportunity to get smarter with a conversation we regularly have with Mike Hall, the managing director of Chip Ganassi Racing, a man who at any time could ride off into the golf sunset and just play, but he loves IndyCar racing too damn much. Uh, Mike, <laughs> it's good to have you on on a on a mid-season report. Good to have you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thanks to you guys. It's great to be with you and talk about uh, IndyCar racing. Yeah. So it's funny. At this point last year, Team Penske won two, four in the championship, or I actually I think that's how they finished, but didn't win the Indy 500. Chip Ganassi Racing did. It's just the opposite this year. You're one, two, four, or five, depending on how you count Dixon in the standings. One, two, four in the standings, but you didn't win the Indy 500. How do you assess midseason? Everybody happy, or or do you still smarting from from not getting the Indy 500? 
Well, we were uh, very, very close on Indianapolis uh, with Marcus uh, this year again, which would have been terrific, not only for Chip Ganassi Racing, but also for the entire country of Sweden. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, people kind of ask, people do ask the question, Kurt, all the time about uh, what's important in IndyCar racing. I think race drivers, when they're introduced, whether they've won the championship or won the Indy 500, the Indy 500 takes precedent. And it does a Chip Ganassi racing also. It's disappointing uh, when you're so close uh, not to win the race. Uh, but you have to get yourself through that state of depression in about 24 hours and go on with then trying to win the championship. And uh, anytime you can be counted with Chip, with uh, Mr. Penske's team, I think you're doing something right. And uh, so we're happy to be counted. Well, let's talk about those individually, those drivers, one, two, four in the championship. Plus, your 11 car is interesting for a couple of different reasons. Alex Pelos won three of the last four races, and I might argue that the best drive of the last two months has was his coming from the back of the field at Indianapolis to finish fourth. He he has just shown such a resolve, uh, depending regardless of the circumstance, uh, the way he fought back last year in Indy 500 uh, with the unfortunate timing of coming to pit road and and the uh, the caution coming out. Uh, this year, having the contact with on with Renus VK on pit lane is his resiliency and his adaptability. It really feels a lot like Scott Dixon. But is that is that kind of one of the things you really look at when you look at his performance over the last couple of years? I think his performance has been extraordinary. Um, he he has enormous talent. Uh, by what he did at uh, Indianapolis this year. Uh, there are three things that are involved, let's face it. And maybe everybody understands that, but the reality is you, first you have to have the driver of the caliber of Polo. That, that's key. The team has to do everything right for Polo, especially when he starts at the back. You have to have flawless uh, uh, racecraft, which includes what you do in and out of the pit lane. And then the race car itself has to be capable of doing what he wants to do in the car. Uh, all of those things are clicking well for uh, Alex and, and uh, the American Legion team. There's no question about that. Um, and so he's proven how special he is. And then I think maybe the, the intangible thing is the crossover of age and experience. Um, so he possesses all of those things. We've been very fortunate here uh, for a long, long time that Chip has worked really, really hard to have drivers like Alex drive our car. And uh, we've taken full advantage of it as a team and and with partners that have made a difference for us over the years. So we're seeing it again. Was there a turning point kind of last year? What was, I don't know, maybe there there wasn't a specific moment, but you know, there was a difficult part of the year last year. And then just toward the end of the season, it just felt like everybody felt like they got on the same page. And and that has been a run that has continued into this season. And and he and Marcus have just reeled off consistency beyond, you know, what anybody could hope for. Uh, was there a turning point? We just kind of it just kind of felt like everybody got back on the same page last year. I, I like how we're always asked that question. 
Uh, this is a fantastic way, Kirk, to ask the question. Um, I think uh, when the dust settled last year, uh, uh, things clicked. Uh, the mindset clicked. Uh, you know, you almost, Alex almost went back into that meditative state that that he lives in. And uh, with that, um, he's he faces challenge well, and uh, we're seeing that again this year. It's uh, it's fantastic uh, the performance that he has. Well, I, th- I think it's important because we talk about the team aspect a lot, and and I don't know that everybody kind of gets that, but you really do have to be on the same page. It's not just the driver doing his job, or as you mentioned, the three elements to to making it work, and. And so getting everybody just kind of in the right space is such an important part of a team sport. And we don't talk about team sport enough in this sport. We should, and we do, we do actually, but I don't think it quite resonates because so much on the, so much focus on the driver and the team. So that's, that's kind of why I ask you. Yeah. Uh, And, and I think to that point, uh, where IndyCar is going is, uh, I don't know if it's a subtle thing or not, but uh, uh, we have a team with four race drivers. The race drivers have to trust each other. That degree of trust makes a big, big difference in being able to truly listen to each other. And I'm talking about the drivers listening to each other. The reason that IndyCar teams have gone to the structure that you see with Chip Ganassi Racing, and we're certainly not the only team. Penske has three. Uh, you know, you could go right down the list with all the teams with the multiple entries. As IndyCar has reduced our uh, track availability uh, in two ways, one is reducing testing significantly, frankly, Uh and we could talk about that all day long. We don't need to. It's a significant reduction in track time. That's number one. And on the race weekends, number two, uh, by the by the tire allotment and by the time available on the racetrack, we do not get time on the racetrack like we used to either. It might seem like a lot, but it really isn't uh, because the, the the tires and the time don't don't cross over well. So what's happened is, as a result of that, the money that they've tried to save us, we're now spending on additional entries. And uh, uh, because we have to do that to get the information that we need uh, to perform on the racetrack on race day. So then what you have internally is this mechanism of three or four drivers that work together as one to learn from each other. So if you look back at what was going on last year at Chip Ganassi Racing, uh, that uh, that bond between the drivers became whole uh, as everybody settled down again with Alex. And uh, guess what happened? Everybody performed better. Uh, and we're performing as a, uh, I hate to use the word well-oiled, that's probably the wrong word to use here, but uh, we're performing well as a team um, as a result. And uh, we, we certainly work hard away from the racetrack to be prepared uh, uh, with artificial testing. Uh, and uh, we've gotten our arms around that. So I think it's a combination of all those things, Kurt. Yeah, I think so, too. Mike Hall joins us. 
you know, somebody that looks pretty well, well oiled to use that phrase right now is Marcus Erickson just looks like a, I'm not saying a different guy. His confidence just looks, he just looks so much more settled. I mean, it, it took him a, a little time in this series, but he looks like the veteran that, that everybody would want him to be. And his experience would dictate nearly a back-to-back Indy 500, which would have been so unpredicted just three or four years ago. We would have never, I, I think, thought that from Marcus. Uh, I guess just give us a sense for just how, how special this has become with, with, uh, with the eight car. Enormous ability in the race car and and out of the race car. Uh, very, very unselfish. Uh, so he paces forward with his teammates. But the reality is Google Marcus Erickson. You know, take the time to do that and look at the history that he has from the time he started uh, uh, on four wheels in a race car. Formula One set that uh, career growth sideways for him because he Formula One is a carnivorous atmosphere, uh, very, probably a very unfair atmosphere in terms of being able to display talent except at the very front of the grid. There's talent throughout the grid, let's face it. And uh, uh, when Marcus got into IndyCar and, and, and found his bearing with IndyCar racing, uh, he began to, to, to display once again what he did in junior formula car racing in Europe. Um, and... Uh, it was very apparent to us when he came available and we had a seat that we wanted to hire him. And that the reason why is what you see today. Uh, he fits us. Uh, we fit him. And uh, we've had great success with him. And, and it's because he has everything it takes to win races. Uh, so he's like Dixon. He's like Palau. He's like Armstrong. If you study Marcus Armstrong as an example, look at his history in Formula 3 and Formula 2. You, you don't have to go any further than that. Uh, enormous ability to get it done. Yeah. He, uh, Marcus Armstrong has been, you know, really a bright spot in this season. And and none of us, I don't think, are, are surprised based on the things you just described. I went back and looked at him when he was introduced you know, on my radar probably about a year ago. And uh, he's just been outstanding. What are you going to do? I think uh, I think I, I do know because it, it was starting to come out today on social media, but let's just confirm you're going to have uh, Takuma Sato back in the 11 car for the ovals. How did that, how is that? Did you give any consideration to, to Marcus Armstrong in that car for the ovals? We, we are giving consideration to that, yes. Uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, the timing is yet to be determined. Uh, but, uh, we'll work on, we, we are going to work on that. We're going to schedule testing for him on all those, uh, going forward. So we can get a preview of, uh, uh, where he needs to go with that, uh, in order to be ready to race noble. Um, and, it, and that whole thing kind of goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. It's really unfair, frankly, for drivers like Marcus Erickson. I'm sorry, Marcus Armstrong, excuse me. I got too many Marcuses in the nest. Um, to try to understand expectation when you get two days on an oval before you race on one. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's not exactly uh, <laughs> not fair. It's not the best fair. thing. And, and, you know, we've seen that with, with uh, a lot of young drivers that have come 
from various forms of ladder ladder racing globally uh, into oval racing. And we no longer really have uh, enough ladder system on ovals for drivers to, to gain the confidence they need other than just go out and drive a large race car on an oval. Um, and I don't know how you solve that problem, uh, but uh, we'll do our best uh, with our Marcus Armstrong to, to overcome that. You have code words for the two Marcuses, or do you just have to say their full names? <laughs> we just call them Marcus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everybody else comes running when that happens. Yeah, Michael, <laughs> Michael joins us. Uh, I'm not going to ask you a lot about Scott Dixon because he continues to do what Scott Dixon does. And I think the gaining of 19 positions and not just obviously Scott, but it's it's the entire nine car just did a tremendous job at Road America um, before I ask you the one question I wanted to ask you about Dixie, let me ask you just, I think maybe, uh, it may go down as one of the big moments of, of the season. And that was your performance on Saturday at, at road America. You got mm-hmm. Polo in the wall or in the tires in turn 14. And shortly, well, I forget which one came first <laughs> because it was a pretty rapid fire. Then you have Dixon and, and power crashing in, in Canada corner the performance of the crew to turn those cars around to get Dixon's car backup car ready. And while maybe you don't start as high as you would like, just that performance on Saturday is it may go down as one of those uh, recoveries that isn't as highlighted as it should be come season end. If these drivers continue to stay where they're at in the points. Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, the, 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 uh, the hit in turn 14 for Palau was a 90G hit. Wow. 90Gs. That's as big as you see at the Speedway. Uh, so think about that. So the damage that was sustained by the car was overcome by the crew members there. And luckily, the monocoque was fine. Um, and uh, we worked really, really hard ahead of a race weekend to be prepared and multiple for parts and pieces to be able to do what was achieved there in a two-hour period uh, for the uh, so they got Alex's car back on the ground. And the, and the good thing about that, it was the same car. And so what that actually means is two things probably in terms of uh, preparation. One is we work really, really hard in practice uh, to understand what the aero balance of the car truly is, especially a place like Road America. And then the brakes are a key ingredient there. So if, if all of that is intact, then you have a chance to go back onto the racetrack like Palau did for qualifying with three laps on blacks, two laps on reds, five total laps. That's it. Yeah. To get to the next 12 and then hopefully get to the next six. Uh, Dixon, on the other hand, had to switch to an entire race, a different race car uh, with some of the components from the uh, the original race car. So the aero balance was off, the brakes were off, and uh, as a result of that, uh, we didn't achieve what we needed to achieve with him, which was unfortunate. Um, he, d- he did what you talked about, which is uh, understand how important it is to get to the front without scratches on your car. <laughs> and uh, uh, the guys did their job in the pits for him. Uh, and uh, he did his job on the racetrack, and uh, 
Um, who says you can't pass in IndyCar racing? Right, right. In fact, that was that was one of the things I want to ask you about is all that passing. But I did want to ask you what your reaction was when you saw Will Power just get upset with Scott Dixon because <laughs> we can count we can count on one hand the number of times. Well, maybe there might have been a few more, but over Scott's career, where somebody has gotten out of the car upset with him, it's not been very often. Uh, just I don't know, just from a <laughs> You know, you spent so much time with Scott. What what was your reaction when you saw saw Will go well, a little uh, go a little Will on him? You know, when we used to race in Surfers Paradise, there's one thing we learned: you don't want to get a in a fight with an Australian. Yeah. The uh, uh, I understand why Will was upset uh, because he probably didn't expect that from Dixon, and Dixon didn't expect that from Dixon. Let's face it. Grosjean went around Scott. Scott thought he was doing everybody that might be coming next a favor by getting out of the way. And he got right in the way of Will. And, uh, you know, I think Will had every right to be upset. He didn't understand the circumstances, but it is what it is. Uh, it was a big hit also. I mean, it damaged uh, damaged our car enough to where we had to change cars. Um, and, uh, so that was a large, large Im- impact and talking to Will on Saturday night after it all happened. And I spent some time with him in the bus lot. The, uh, uh, he said, I was having a, a, a terrible day on Friday. Uh, and I was yelling and screaming on the radio. And I came in on Saturday morning and told my guys, Hey, today, we're just going to have a good day. I'm going to be calm. Everything's going to be fine. And then whammo. <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know what? Will Power is probably one of the most naturally gifted race drivers that we've ever seen in in an IndyCar. He can drive the lap, the fast lap, better than anybody can. And, uh, And he's very fair on the racetrack when he does it. Um, and so is Scott Dixon. So when you have two people like that that collide, you kind of look at each other and go, well, how did that just happen? Well, it did. And uh, we all got over it. Um, and uh, um, it's a little disappointing that Will had the problems that he had on Sunday, whatever they were, because I, I expected greater things out of him than what we saw there. True. Uh, and I, I expected... Uh, equal from Scott. I expect both of them to be at the, at the front at the end of the race. And only one was from a, uh, commu- just from a communication standpoint, where would Scott, I mean, if Scott's needing to know where, where power is coming down that through the forest on the back yes. stretch of, yeah. of, I mean, would, cause there's not a spotter back there, correct? No, he, has, there is not. he has no option. No. Yeah. I don't know. You know, we, we, we certainly couldn't help him from obviously helping if we could have from the timing stand we would have yeah uh but we couldn't do that and uh this the spotters weren't back there in that section by canada corner to really be able to help so you're reliant totally upon what the drivers totally reliant upon the small visual aspect that he has in the rearview mirrors um and uh obviously it wasn't enough which I don't know how they see anything in those rearview mirrors. I've I've sat in a car and tried to look through there years ago, and I I shoot I couldn't well, I couldn't have picked out a what? billboard. They obviously can because there's a lot of blocking that goes. Yeah. On. <laughs> True. 
<laughs> so you referenced the uh, all the passing, and it was like 444 on-track passes for 386 positions um, and a, a lot within the top 10 and the top five. Did you chalk that up to the uh, some of the concerns going in were, you know, just – you know, how the track was going to be is a new surface. Is you, you, you chalk some of that up, just drivers being drivers and, and not sure what, what they're going to get. And then they make the best of it when they get to the moment. Now, I think uh, at Road America, you have a lot of passing opportunity, first of all, that you don't have on a lot, lot of uh, natural terrain road tracks or street tracks for that matter, because you have three long straightaways. So it lends itself to three passing zones immediately. Let's yeah. face it. Um, the second thing is, is the red and black tires, the durability of the tire was very similar. And if you have a, there you had maybe a four, if you were full green uh, between the interval for green was 14 laps. So you had 14 laps, four mile racetrack. And the last four laps of that, uh, of that segment, so the last 16 miles of that segment, whether you were on red tires or black tires, your rear tires were gone. They were junk. They'd worn out. And so some people were able to maintain their rear tires longer than others. That's when you really begin to see the passing in the braking zones. And then what contributed that also, because everybody was going significantly faster than they'd ever gone at Road America before in the race, fuel mileage was out the window. So so all of a sudden, the people that hadn't worked really, really hard, first of all, to have maximum speed by saving fuel, suddenly by this last two laps or three laps for their run, man, they were, they had to lean, they had to run lean. They either had to to uh, lift and coast or they had to run in a, in a leaner fuel mixture. So you sit, saw a lot more passing. That was the reason why you saw it. Those two reasons. Yeah. And uh, we even saw that in the last run of the race, there were people that went forward and people that backed up that you thought, why did that guy just back up? Well, it was because they either were saving time. They were, they were having to run on tires that weren't as good for them based on their drive style or the fact that they need needed to save fuel. Um, so, all of that was contributing to to what happened, as you saw, with all the passing. So it made the race really exciting. You know, it looked like a Formula Ford race. Yeah, it did. Uh, it had Road America. Uh, if you've ever had an opportunity to race a car like that at Road America, you understand what that means. The, uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a great race, a great race for us from the timing stand, a great race for the drivers, and a fantastic race for the fans. Let me ask you two quick things then about about strategy because you so much enjoy it. In fact, it might be one of the reasons it keeps you still going to work every day is just enjoying the process that that involves uh, understanding a race and how it's going to play out. I'm not asking you about the Andretti decision to pit Colton with 15 to go, but just generally, do you you just enjoy? You seem to be so good at understanding exactly where that where that last pit stop, uh, where those pit stop windows should be. Is that a part of your, I mean, it's such a critical element to the, to the strategy that is involved with, with a motorsport. Is that something you just still really enjoy is understanding where those, where those decisions should come? 
Racing for me is about race day. It always has been. Uh, because, you know, guess what? You get put to the test on race day, don't you? And you have to be so measured with a, in a competitive environment to be able to think your way through. So someone like myself, I have a lot of help uh, when I'm on, on a, on a call with that decision, like, like, like you referenced there. Uh, we have great people that help us make those decisions. So you have a lot of information and, uh, but then you still have, it still comes down to making the decision about what you do. And, Racecraft is about timing your stop. It's all about the in-lap. The driver can drive the in-lap, but the out-lap has to be trouble-free, meaning the, the least amount of traffic within the window to get, gain the most track position right there. And then working with uh, drivers over the years like Scott Dixon, uh, seeing what they then can do when you give them up, give them that opportunity and how disappointed they are when they can't take advantage of it. It's both. Um, and, uh, yeah, I keep coming back because I, I love race day. Frankly, the rest of it is sets us up for that day. Uh, I enjoy the rest of it a lot less than I enjoy race day. I'll say that. Yeah, I bet. I guess I would ask you one last thing about strategy, and this could be probably too much for the time we have remaining, but just generally, um, if you can give kind of a short answer, it, we saw at Indy, we now know that that it, the last, the last uh, restart could be with as little as one lap to go. Are you okay with that as a strategist? I guess at this point, everybody knows that wherever we're racing, we're going to do the best we can to finish under green. I guess from a strategy standpoint, you're good with that? Well, I think Joseph Newgarden was licking his chops there with one lap to go because yeah. the leader the leader in that case is a sitting duck. Uh, if the role were reversed, it would have been great if Marcus Erickson was second. Uh, but you know what? That's why they have the race. And uh, we've won races at Chip Ganassi Racing in that position, and we've finished second or third in, in situations like that. You know who won at Indianapolis? The fans. The race won. And uh, the last time I looked at the Borg Warner Trophy, which was just a few days ago, every face on that trophy belongs there. All of those drivers have meaning for lineage, for what we do in IndyCar racing. Joseph DeGarden will be a fantastic Indy Indianapolis 500 champion for the rest of his life. And uh, he, like many others, deserves to now have won that race. Um, and uh, uh, I just go back to what I said about the trophy. Yep. There are a select few that are on that trophy for a reason. It isn't necessarily because they were with the best team. It's because they are the best IndyCar drivers. And that's what's so great about that race. That's why the fans, you know, I was sitting in that time stand in Indianapolis for the 500. I looked across the, uh, at the, uh, the aluminum seats on the other side, uh, and there wasn't an empty seat with 20 laps to go, let alone one lap to go. 
the fans are engaged in that race, and uh, that's that's why we all go there. This is how you make us all smarter. So I appreciate your uh, <laughs> appreciate your few minutes. I hope you keep this up as long as maybe we could uh, extend our <laughs> careers to coincide with uh, retirement at the same time. Because be I certainly though. enjoy it. I certainly enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see you All in right. Montana, Montana or somewhere like that. Okay. That's right. Continued success. All right. We'll be back in a minute. 93.5-1075, The Fan. Hi. This- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Mark Erickson, and you're listening to Trackside. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Thank you for staying with us. Kevin Lee back along with Kurt Cavan. Uh, enjoyed the conversation with Michael before we get to some other things that we still have on the table. I'll bring this up. I thought Mike had a really good point that I, I don't know that I had really thought of a, a lot. One of the reasons why you need to have three and four car teams is simply you know, the reduced testing is nothing new. It's been that way for quite a while, 10, 15 years. It did different times and different eras allowed different uh, levels of testing. But what's changed even more and what we're probably, I guess this started with COVID and it just kind of continued. There is one less full session per weekend instead of two practices on Friday, one on Saturday morning, then qualifying a warm up in the race. You're now seeing just a practice on Friday afternoon. Now, they have maybe made that practice a little bit longer, but it's not an hour and 15-minute practice. It's a 45-minute practice with 30 minutes of sitting because they don't have enough tires. So I, I thought that was an excellent point. Well, not just having you know the extra cars to get the time. He was making the point also that the money that they saved from not testing is now carried over for an extra car or two where he could have gotten and, by with a two-car team. Now, that I think that's good for the sport to have 27 cars on the grid, as we've seen, but more cars on a race team means a higher budget, which could have equated to more testing. And they're still spending it then on wind tunnel testing and other things of the shaker rig and the things that they talk about. Some teams um, are, not all of them. <laughs> correct. The ones that have the budget are still spending the money. You basically, you spend what you have. Yeah. And I know two groups that would like to see fewer than 27 cars. It's Honda and Chevy. So if they really want that to happen, and there was there was a possibility if the entire new engine was coming in next year, you basically could have had cuts. And we never really had to get into this. But I am told they were going to go pretty strong with, we are supplying 12 each. And you all sorted out who's getting those 12. And there would have been three that would have been disinvited. Uh, so if if they feel strongly about that, maybe that's a way around it. And a compromise is let's just make the program stronger. Let's add a practice session back. Uh, I like seeing more cars, too. I like seeing more jobs, not only for crew people, but drivers as well. But as far as the strength of the show, I feel like 24 is enough. But I like 27 from the standpoint, because if you're at 24, then all of a sudden you're within losing two to, oh, well, 22 is getting a little bit shaky. If I could guarantee they're going to be 24, there's going to be fine. And I think 22 is still okay, but that's when you start getting 
a little bit more concern, but I, I found that interesting. And also, he confirmed that Takuma Sato, or you had seen it in other places as well. So I was told that over the weekend that Takuma Sato would be in the rest of the oval races. As recently as uh, right before the Indy 500, Takuma told me that was not set yet, and he was still working on that. And I was told over the weekend that was done. I asked Mike if I could confirm it, and he said no. Now, they might have been mad at me about the Marcus Erickson report at that point. Which uh, So we'll get to that next. I don't imagine that went over very well at Chip Ganassi Racing. I also think if they're being fair, they're not going to blame me. I'm just doing my job. And so if you weren't watching Peacock on Friday afternoon, I told the story that we've told on this show before, but just told it with not just what I think, but what the source was telling me. So in our chat on Thursday afternoon, maybe this was Friday morning even, I asked Marcus, where do things stand with the contract? And didn't expect anything really definitive. And he had some pretty strong comments about how frustrated he was. So I circled back and said, is this on the record? Are you okay if I say this on the air? Because oftentimes, and you had this too in your career, we get to be pretty familiar with the drivers. And sometimes they say things and... I think it's just them venting and telling me. So I try to make it a point and make sure that they understand that that's on the record to not burn any bridges from that standpoint and get any, I don't want to get in the middle of that. And he said, yep, it's all on the record. I have done everything I can do. And he was adamant that they've negotiated and they're not making any progress. The offer from Chip Ganassi Racing is the same as it was when he first joined. It's the same after he won a couple of races, and now it's the same after he's won the Indy 500 and finished second and been a championship contender. It's the seat is yours, but you need to fund a large chunk of the seats with your personal sponsors. And his point was there are at least 15. And I did some counting and I came up with, I think, 17 that are paid drivers in the series. And he feels like he should be one of them. And there are people that will make him one of them. He wants to stay at Chip Ganassi Racing. And by the way, I saw Marcus on Saturday or Sunday morning and just kind of smiled and said, how did that go over? And he said, yeah, about like you'd expect. But I don't regret it because he didn't say it. But here I will summarize this. I think this is his last ditch effort. He is hoping to make something happen because he really wants to stay with Chip Ganassi Racing. As you can imagine, as we've talked about, they are first, second, and fourth, or tied for fourth in the championship. That's where he wants to be, but it doesn't do you any good to go work for the best company in the business if they are not willing to pay you. So at some point, you need to get paid, and the person that is paying for this is probably saying, hey, I funded you because I believed in you and believed that you could eventually stand on your own. It's time for you to stand on your own. And... No one will confirm for me what the option is, but I believe it's Andretti Autosport. I believe there are several options. I believe there are two or three others that have made offers. I do not think McLaren is an offer. Uh, I think that was Zach Brown enjoying being in the spotlight and taking a jab at Chip Ganassi, but I, I do think that they are resigned to the fact that they cannot expand any more next year. They're already, already running a fourth for the Indy 500 that they're no, going to need to put a lot of effort in. So this was a Hail Mary, uh, knowing that Chip Ganassi was not going to appreciate that, to let it be known to everyone 
that I am willing to leave unless you give me what I believe is a fair deal. And they still have another month plus, just over a month to work that out. I'm going to guess August 1st or July 31st is the deadline. That typically is the deadline date. Uh, for a lot of these things. And, you know, maybe his sponsors aren't saying, hey, we've we've it's time for you to stand on your own. Maybe what he's saying is the business model is it's time for the business model to support a driver of your caliber, meaning somebody out there needs to pay you. You know, you know, not necessarily I'm tired of of sponsoring you because I think they would continue. If Marcus went to them and, and those sponsors and said, I'd like to remain at Chip Ganassi Racing and this is the only way we can do it, I think people would still stand behind him. So I don't let's let's be clear about that. I don't think anybody on the back end is giving him an ultimatum. But I think well, we don't know. We we, we we don't know that. That's we just don't guessing. Know. Yeah, but it stands to reason they're not they're not abandoning him. And I think it's just principle here at this point. And I think he's going to have a pretty decent offer. Uh, I think the Andretti option is a good option, and it could be one of two places. I'm going to guess Devlin DeFrancesco is up after this year. Hey, and who who's to say that Andretti might not add a fifth car? There might be a scenario for that a- as well. So uh, Michael has said, I believe he told Racer recently, we're evaluating the 29 car, and we'll make a decision later on in the year. There's a scenario where I think Devlin stays. And it's in the 28 seat. I think he's still going to stay there, but if they have not signed yet, I'd be getting more and more concerned. It was another miserable, really negative weekend. Not just the race and multiple offs, but it was not going well this weekend. And Grosjean does something for that program and presumably for that sponsor, for DHL, which... Uh, the word was they wanted more of an international presence. Well, Marcus Erickson can bring that as well as an Indy 500 winner and a former Formula One driver. So if they decide we've had enough of the Grosjean business, then that's the option. And Devlin DeFrancesco, by the way, is getting better. This is three straight race results, maybe more than that, but that have gone pretty well for him. So he's not a finished product yet, but it looks like there is growth in that area. So I would just keep an eye on that front. And that's kind of where free agency starts. Those are the big name free agents that are out there. And then everything else will get settled from that. I do not believe Felix Rosenquist has any option to return to McLaren. I think he has options with uh, likely Meyer Shank, potentially Ray Hall Letterman, potentially who knows, depending on what Ryan Hunter Ray wants to do. Ed Carpenter racing. Nathan Brown had a good story in the Indianapolis star today uh, talking about some things. I talked with some people on that that camp, and when I mentioned before, how do I want to phrase it, that it was, I believe, a combination effort, is what I've said before, that Connor Daly helped Bitnile get solidified, and I don't know the exact wording of it, but no one has told me you're wrong about that. So I, I think there is a combination that that is a team sponsor, and Nathan got into that a little bit as well. Uh, most don't really want to go on the record about this, but I feel pretty good about that, that they bit Nile has a great affinity for Connor. And I think and hope that they will continue to have a relationship, but the relationship has been with the team as well. And has a good chance of continuing to be with that team, just not finalized uh, at this point. 
Hey, I wanted to mention the uh, event I did, the, my first chance to bartend, which uh, I would say, but we raised a ton of money for the kids. I think over 10 grand for racing for kids. You may know Mandy Bender from the yep, IMS yep. Museum. I was lucky to be partnered with Mandy, and we somehow drew more in tips than James Hinchcliffe, who was soliciting tips. Uh, let's be honest. He was selling autographs, taking the tip jar around. But Mandy had a... Uh, so there was a contest to who could by nine o'clock have the most tips. Hinch had sort of won, but Mandy had something in her back pocket with um, someone that was going to match whatever Hinch did plus a dollar. So we got an extra three or four hundred dollar tip at the end of the night to win by a dollar. So Mandy and I won. Really, Mandy won. And I was there to help. And I apologize to those I poured spotted cow for because I think there was more foam in the beer. In those, I did make a, a successful old fashioned for the first time. Don't know how, don't remember what's in it, so I can't do that again. But it's a really fun event. I invite you to, they do that every year at Seepkins on Thursday. And you see a lot of drivers there, a lot of former drivers, engineers, everyone in the paddock, uh, not everyone, but many in the paddock make an appearance there that evening. So thanks to everybody who organized that sports entertainment and travel and, and the folks at Seepkins as well. So we had fun with that. And good money was raised for the kids. It's uh, it's a great event. Didn't Hedgecliff have have his shirt off during the? We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> I did see this. That's well. cheating. We well, we were all offered that opportunity for an extra tip to disrobe, and he's the fittest of the bartenders that was there, so he was willing to go ahead and do that. Again, it's it's for the kids, so. That's why Hinch is is a good sport. He's driving MX-5 Cup at Watkins Glen this weekend. That's really why I'm going. Yeah. I'm going to be the personal reporter for Hinch. Those things, my call was talking about Formula Ford at Road America. I can vouch for that. My driver did that at Road America, and it was wild. And that's what MX-5 Cup is. So find that. The broadcasts are uh, streamed over the weekend. He races, I think, Friday afternoon and Saturday afternoon as well in Mazda MX-5 Cup. All right, we'll see what we missed and wrap things up coming up in just a moment on Trackside. This is Alex Palou. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And you're listening to Trackside. All right, final segment. Still a lot to cover. We need more time. A quick update for Jackson Lee and the race or the races that were not at, at Road America. Race one, he got knocked off track first lap between turns one and two. Uh, someone turned left while they were going straight, knocked him off. He got back on and then was passing around the outside. Uh, and then those inside didn't really let him turn. And he got airborne. Uh, miraculously not major damage. Uh, he was a lap down because he was beached and just rode around looking for some attrition and, and trying to stay out of the way. Race two, uh, eighth at the start, up to fifth briefly, fell back two or three spots, I don't know, midway through the race. And then there was a spin in front of him. There was a pack of cars from like fifth to 11th all together, lots of three wide, spin in front of him. The car in front of him, 
got slowed down and broke early. He did not see it. Boom, crash, waiting for the bill. And that and a a couple of new partners pending will determine whether he races in mid-Ohio coming up next weekend or not. Also mentioned in Indy Next, how about Nolan Siegel? 18 years old, has won the last two races, really should have won the last three now has a decent lead in the championship. He's one of those running in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship this Sunday in the Salem Six Hours at the Glen. So is Christian Rasmussen, Kiffin Simpson. Join us on Peacock all six hours at 1030 on Sunday. And then the last two and a half or three, I think we're on USA Network at... 2.30 on Sunday afternoon. We had more Twitter questions I really liked. We're out of time, but off weekend for IndyCar, so two hours next Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. We'll get to them then. Thank you much for Kurt, for Michael, and for Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin. This is 93.5 107.5 The Fan.